Amen. Father God, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your fierce and crazy love for us, a love we'll never understand. We just ask that you would open our eyes so that we could see your works, what you're doing for us, all you've done, all you continue to do. I ask that your, the words that I say today would be the words that you would have me to say. Just pray that you would help bless our time together, that we would glorify and worship you. Amen. So who's seen, has, any, have any, has anyone seen this before? Yeah, I see a few. Yeah, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? I, um, I did a little research, and actually it was written in 2003, so almost 18 years ago. It's a short film. Uh, it's 29 minutes long. So um, it was co-written, ironically, by William Zabka. Anyone know who that is? He was the villain, Johnny Lawrence, um, in the original Karate Kid. You know, the blonde-haired California kid. Um, so the setting of the film is in Eastern Europe, and the father obviously works as a bridge master for the railroad company. Uh, the film is titled Most, M-O-S-T, which is actually Shek uh, means bridge. Uh, the co-writers have never confirmed the true meaning of the title. Uh, it could simply, simply be referencing the bridge, but speculation is it means a lot more and could represent several things. Uh, most unimaginable sacrifice of a father. Most, uh, in terms of referencing the number of people and lives saved on the train versus the single life of one boy. Uh, what would most people do if faced with this choice? Used by numerous religious denominations um, as a parallel or an example of the type of love God has for us to sacrifice his one and only son. I was thinking about it, and I like to consider most as, the expression, as an expression of the most awesome love. The woman who is addicted to drugs sees the boy out the window and realizes he dies. We are, with the father making the difficult choice to close the bridge to save everyone on the train, to save her, the most love she has probably ever seen, showing her great value and worth. It's pretty powerful when you think of where people are, where I've been, where I'm sure many of you have been. You know, one of the greatest problems with salvation and, and coming to salvation is we just don't feel that much value or we just don't feel like we're truly worth it. How could a God love this guy? So I saw this um, originally at a time I was struggling to find and understand God and how or why he could or would love me. It was really a glimpse of the closest example of how fierce and real God's love is and how much I am worth to him. Those who know me have heard a lot of stories about my parents and my early childhood. One thing I have not talked about very much is my journey through high school, college, and trying to find myself, uh, trying to find my meaning and my purpose. 16 years old to 28 was not a pretty picture 
of me or anything that I'm proud of. I'm going to share some of this with you today, not to glorify my failures or sins, but to share my journey and my faith. And my faith is it will help someone going through similar struggles and challenges. One of the most awesome things about God is how much he loves us in the mysterious ways he works with us. He works with us at whatever age we are, whatever our understanding is, whatever we are into through good times, bad times, sadness, disappointments, pain, loneliness, complacency, procrastination, denial, confusion, selfishness. I was always taught the difference between right and wrong. I was showed by, by discipline and examples how to live for God, thus showing the results. I was taught to put the needs of others before my own and to appreciate and respect all people. So I give that because obviously I talk about my parents a lot, but um, about six years ago after my father passed, unexpectedly passed away, my brother and I hired a contractor uh, to do some remodeling in the basement of my parents' house. Um, so my father, when we moved in, he added a bunch of rooms in the downstairs to obviously give us different rooms and bedrooms and things like that. It was just a complete like uh, basement. So um, he worked on that for I don't know how long. It seemed like he worked on it forever, but he was a slow, deliberate, if you do it, do it right type of guy. Um, but anyway, um, the, uh, the contractor called me and said, Jim, you need to come down here. I found something you probably would be interested in. And I said, oh boy, what's wrong now? And we're trying to open the space up and sure something's wrong. And so I went down there, I get there and he had saved some boards from the bracing and studs in the walls. And my dad had written in pencil several scripture verses. I'm sure as he was working, using his pencil to do his measurements and make his marks, um, but three of, and I had several, but three of the ones that kind of I thought I'd share today were, he wrote, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. Sensible people control their temper they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Proverbs 19, 11. And then the one that probably stuck with me the most, that he would continually point his finger at me anytime I was battling with something or questioning something, and this was always his thing, and it was, Jimmy, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not upon thy own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So I was extremely introverted and insecure as a kid. I lacked confidence, too hard on myself, did not like teachers, didn't have too many friends, did not like talking. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> Actually, I disliked people in general and avoided interacting. 
I think a lot of that came from, even though I had the greatest parents and God was working in my life and my biological parents had, you know, given me up for a better life, you don't see that when you're like four, five, six, seven years old. It's amazing, actually, and I think that's relevant for things God does for us sometimes, is he puts us in situations where actually it's hard and it doesn't make sense and he's working though even though we don't see it he's working and he was working on me so at age 10 I had a new neighbor that moved in beside my mom and dad's house and uh, he introduced me to something that changed my life it opened me up to being more normal, confident, and outgoing. Or so I thought. Who here likes sports? Matt, I know you are really into the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah? Thomas, we talk basketball and football every chance we get. And then Jerry Lowe, you're a Duke fan? I try not to hold it against you, love you. Well, around 10 years old, I was introduced to basketball. Neighbor had a basketball and we had a carport and covered patio at my house. You would not believe how creative a couple kids can be with a ball, concrete pavement, and a couple of brick walls. This led to hanging a trash can on the fence and seeing who could make the most shots from different places. Within a year, I was able to convince my father to put up a real basketball goal in our yard. This was truly euphoric, and any spare time I had was spent out there shooting, pretending to be in real games. Whether it was my friend with me, whether I was by myself, it was all that it consumed me, it's all I did. So no, no outdoor light or concrete surface where the goal was. It was out sort of in the grass, which eventually obviously turned to dirt and mud. Um, many nights shooting in the dark, in the rain, even in freezing cold and snow. We would drag out sheets of plywood and lay them around the basket so we could ball out when it was wet or muddy. Nerf hoop in my bedroom, carried a basketball everywhere I was allowed, thought about the game from the time I got up to the time I fell off to sleep. And then a passion for all sports grew. Football in the street, telephone poles making end zones, curbs used as sidelines, basketball, baseball, football, probably in this order, but without knowing it, I was becoming addicted to not only sports, but to competing. I truly enjoyed competing, really more than winning. Winning was no longer enough. I would get angry and hurtful if others did not take it as seriously or not as obsessed and invested with winning as I was. It started out as fun, and since I was not uniquely gifted, I had to work harder to make a team, to get in the game. I wasn't tall, wasn't physically strong, not sure when it happened, but I came obsessed with improvement, competing and winning. Um, it was not all unhealthy or bad. 
I learned a lot about how to work hard to accomplish goals that I set for myself, made me more comfortable in front of people, built camaraderie with uh, teammates and opponents, and gave me more self-esteem and confidence in everything. I demanded a lot of myself and learned if I worked hard enough, I could make things happen or at minimum influence the outcome. I would use anything I could find for my motivation. <laughs> if I did not have anything to push me, I would make up or create my own motivation. I would craft things in my mind to push me even harder. That dude thinks he can guard me. These fans are booing me. Opponents are trying to take something from me and humiliate me. That ref is singling me out, so I am going to win, even though he is intentionally cheating to try and stop me. Those guys think they are better than me. Really crazy stuff. And ridiculous, looking back, it was ridiculous thinking. Through all the practices, games, tournaments, travel teams, conference and state championship, all conference, all state, high school and college scholarships, I kept at it. Now, when I hit college with a scholarship, just turned 18, I had an immediate awakening. Everyone on my team was as good or better than I was. Most of the guys I played with and against were taller, stronger, and as quick, coordinated, and accurate as I was. The last eight years of my life had been about nothing but basketball. Now I was behind most of the guys I was playing with and against. I had battled with sprained ankles, broken fingers, calf injuries, and for a second time, I tore a tendon in my left ankle. My grades were good, but what point was there to stay in school without basketball? Basketball was the only reason I'd kept my grades up through high school and college. Basketball was who I was and truly my only purpose. I was done after one season at UNC Greensboro. I dropped out, moved back home, got a great job, and began working in the career I'm in today. That's kind of fascinating, so I got a great job. So even through all of this, God was opening doors for me in a job that I've stayed in, a career I've stayed in, that I never would have imagined. That When I took that job, I was like, yeah, I'll do this for a few months, make some cash, then I'll figure out a way to find something serious. God had a plan for me, but I sure did not recognize it, think about it, or care anything about God. All through high school and college, I'd never really had a girlfriend. All of my friends were athletes. I had tons of friends that, you know, had, that we were like-minded, but if they were not in some way involved in basketball or sports, I saw them as a distraction. Really had no purpose and really got in my way. Now that I'm working and earning some money, time to get my own place and start competing in new things. Always loved motorcycles, um, so I bought a street bike, and I was living on the edge, competing with my friends to see who could be the most dangerous, reckless, and party the hardest. I'm not going to get into the many mistakes, poor choices, 
that I made, um, immature, disrespectful behavior. All I wanted was to have fun, laugh, and feel invincible. I did not want to grow up or be accountable for myself, much less anyone else. God still spoke to me and would remind me through the smallest and biggest things. I was running as fast and hard as I could from God. I just was not able to outrun his love for me. At around age 28, I'd had enough. Somehow I'd been spared the consequences most of my friends were going through. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, gambling addictions, prison, injured, dead. Just chaotic relationships, baggage that they would have to carry around. I had tried everything to find something, anything to make me happy. I just started to read my Bible more and talk to my dad. Night after night of questions about the Bible, about God, about life, about purpose. He would give me scriptures every few nights and tell me to read with an open mind and pray for understanding. Of course, I didn't do that. Our conversations were not always warm and fuzzy. I challenged my dad on everything about God. I would study the Bible for hours, looking for contradictions, inconsistencies, proof I was right, and God was not all he was cracked up to be. My father never wavered, never faltered, never showed doubt. Many late-night calls ended with him telling me to pray about it and apply these words to my life. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Through a lot of prayers, honesty with myself, and Bible study, I found my way. 29 years old, I finally turned it all over to God. I have made tons of mistakes, and I'm still turning things and thoughts over to God. You see, if you wait until you reach that perfection, you'll never get there. You come to church, you study your Bible, you pray. I think when it really hit me of that relationship that we should have with God is when I didn't want to pray. I mean, I would say I love you, God, but I didn't want to pray because I knew that I was screwing up. Now, why would we not want to pray? Well, more than likely, I didn't want to change. I know God loves me. I know he knows exactly what is eternally best for me. And I know he will always be there for you, for me. And all those things apply to all of you. So I'm going to, or if we can pull up a scripture, it's one that I'm sure no one's ever seen before. More than likely, we've uh, we probably all know this one by heart. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world 
but that the world through him might be saved. Everyone's heard that. So I'm going to deconstruct it a little bit. So for God so loved the world, do you believe that? Again? Mm Mm-hmm. God really does love the world. But interesting, it says the world. So he loves all of us, but he also loves his world, his creation. The plants, the animals, all those things. I've never noticed that. The good, bad, rich, poor, young, old, sick, healthy, angry, and joyful. God really loves us all. He loves those who love him, and he loves those who run away from him, and even those that hate him. Why is it important? It means you don't have to earn God's love. He already loves you. And there's absolutely nothing you could do that would change his love. We all sin, but it is game-changing, life-changing to know that God will still love us even when we mess it all up. It shows us his character and what his love really is. Love is mentioned 541 times in the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate love story. But these two verses actually very simply sum up the entire gospel. It is proof the devil lies against God's character. God gives us choice and a solution when we fail because he loves us. He will never force or make us because that would never be perfect unconditional love for context love is used as a noun verb and adjective so noun God is love verb God loves us all adjective Jesus dying for our sins is the greatest love story then we go to that he begat that he gave his only begotten son gave freely gave him up begotten word has biological meaning but also the Greek word for begotten is monogenes which simply means Something made of the exact same stuff. This points directly to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God gave up a third of himself for me, for you. It also provides the severe consequences of sin and the cost required to save us the death of his perfect son. Then we move to that, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever, that means anyone and everyone, can accept Jesus, be saved, and also live for him. Everlasting life. The life offered to those who believe in Christ is eternal. From a Greek word meaning Greek word meaning never-ending. The alternative to life in Christ is destruction to perish. So verse 17, um, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus did not come to condemn us or to change the plan, to make new rules or new conditions to be saved. He came to show us the way. He came to fulfill 
what God planned from the beginning. And I don't mean the beginning of the world. He planned this. We can't understand that. Always been and he planned it. He came to show us our condition and our need for him, how to live for him, to believe in him, to pray to him, to trust in him, to ask for forgiveness and equally be willing to forgive others, to choose him over our pride and selfishness, to love him, to love one another. And he, he taught us to bring others to him by our actions and sharing of our love and what he's done for us. You know, one of the coolest things for me about accepting to live for God and put him first is being able to look back at his protection, struggles through good and bad situations and circumstances. When God was using everything possible to get my attention, God is mysterious, yet so incredibly awesome. If there's something in your life which you are being convicted is a wrong, or if you see it interfering in your relationship with God, I encourage you to drop it. Don't walk away from it. Run away from it. Don't worry. <laughs> you will not and cannot outrun God. God is chasing you. He's chasing me. But true love means he will never force you. He'll just be there when you recognize him and listen. Choose to give it all to him. Choose to be vulnerable and depend on him. Choose to stop running and claim victory through his promises.